everybody, and welcome to episode number two of Stride and Saunter. I am one of your hosts, Kip Clark. And I am Hector Marrero. This week, our topic is transition, specifically the transition from high school to college or entering your first, your freshman year of college. Hector and I thought it was particularly pertinent in this time of year when many people are entering college and we have a lot to say, but I'm going to actually turn it over to Hector to start with some opening thoughts on where this conversation might go. Yeah, this one goes out to everybody who's gone to college. I don't know the percentage of the world population or American population who's gone to college, but hopefully we'll touch on the subject of transitioning into this phase, which is college. I don't know about you, Kip, but I feel old on this campus right now. Yeah, likewise. Styles have changed. Popular music has changed, the way people dress have changed, all in the course of three, four years. And it makes me realize just how different things are from year to year and how culture changes from class to class and group to group. I can remember when I was a freshman here at Kenyon, I didn't have an iPhone in my pocket. I don't think too many people had iPhones, but it was less, less people had iPhones than they do now. But I myself didn't have an iPhone. I went into my room with my parents and my brother who came along with me to the trip. We had a number of boxes full of books and clothing and sweaters and jackets and bed sheets. And I had a couple of posters from high school and my parents helped set that all up. My mom made my bed. My brother, I don't know, played on my computer on the side. And I met my roommate. Bennett, who is a baseball player. I was a theater kid and he was a baseball player, but what we had in common was that we were both very clean. We were both very neat. So we got along pretty well. I know one thing that I think about when transitioning to college is the social pressure. This feeling of, I don't know anybody and I need to get to know as many people as possible. At least this is the case for me. I get, I, I can remember reflecting back onto my freshman year, going to the ice cream social, which happens every year here at Kenyon. And it felt like I was bursting almost. Every single person was a big hello. I shook their hand. I said, hi, my name is Hector. Nice to meet you. And all these little courtesies. I can't quite remember who it was I was saying hello to. I can remember a few people who I came up too close to them and spit a little in their face by accident but um, it's not really you when you're introducing yourself you know in an ice cream social it's, it's almost a forced social interaction let's just call it that a forced social interaction and for some people this isn't the most comfortable way of getting to know people because it's kind of superficial all you're saying is hi this is my name this is what I'm interested in da, 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 da. absolutely it's it's very mechanical it's like a packaged and processed way of socializing with people yeah, and I mean, the ice cream was great, and I did meet a couple of people. I told them that they were cool. And, you know, social interaction is an interesting thing, but I know I took a lot of time to walk around campus and be by myself and kind of reflect, not because I was sad or anything, but because I needed that time to decompress. I think when it comes to interactions that are, as we call it, these forced social interactions like this ice cream social, 
I think there's a lot of energy that goes into that literal physical energy, chemical energy in your body that you're constantly processing and rethinking how it is that you want to be perceived by others. And so you're constantly reconfiguring yourself. You're not really your true self. You're not really the self that you usually are. You are this elevated self where you are constantly thinking about every action, every movement, and every gesture. And because of that, I know I personally get exhausted. I find it exhausting as well. I'm sure that many people that know me would suspect me to be an extroverted person who enjoys that. And certainly I enjoy meeting new people, but you only have so much energy for it. And in being the type of person that I am, I'm always thinking about it, thinking about the things that I've said, especially reflecting after events on what I have said, how I interacted, what I might have done better in a conversation with someone. But meeting people, yeah, I, it's the first thing you do when you get to college. And in fact, everyone but the parents or the people who brought you uh, is a stranger. And it's it's a very unnerving experience at first. And the social aspect is is crazy. I, I remember trying pretty hard not to reveal too many abnormalities about myself, which I look back on kind of with a smirk because I, I think it's the wrong way to get to know people. And I think at the end of the day, and I, I stand by this despite what problems it might cause, if you are yourself when you introduce yourself to people, they know what they're in for. There will be no surprises down the road, at least not any horrific ones, because they'll know that you're loud or quiet or that you ask a lot of questions. And I think that people who are overly polite when introducing themselves don't do either party any favors. In fact, I think it's a disservice to people, which is not to say you should be discourteous or rude, but if you don't care where someone you know went to high school or if they uh, you know have any pets, don't ask. I, I think that on a lot of levels, it comes off as superficial. And I, I remember, especially freshman year, feeling like there were so many superficial questions just to sort of make people a little bit more comfortable. And it didn't always feel fluid. I remember also coming with my parents. My brother did not join me. We flew out and we spent the night prior in a hotel in Mount Vernon. And then we got here the next day and then began moving in with all my boxes and stuff. Numerous surge protectors, numerous things that I would come to find I did not need. Clamps, lamps, excuse the rhyming, but a number of things that we, or I guess my, my mother, thought that I would need. I was, I was over-prepared. I had far too many supplies, paper clips, pens, tape, scissors, and I think a stapler. Probably one of those things was used throughout the entire year. I remember scissors were necessary, but other things I just didn't always find a use for. So I remember my freshman dorm had a lot of stuff just relegated to corners of the room where I, I wouldn't look at them. My roommate, Peter, uh, is, is a great guy that I remember. I, I didn't obviously know very well. Um, in fact, in my uh, abnormality, over the summer, when, when everyone was getting their freshman roommates, friends of mine back home, you know, Kip, do you know who you're living with next year? You know, what's Kenny going to be like? And I was telling them that I, uh, I didn't know my roommate. Um, I knew his name, but I had elected uh, not to get to know him too well beforehand. I, I thought it would be uh, artificial or might give me a peculiar first impression. And, and likewise for him, if we, you know, discuss too much online, because you can be anyone behind a keyboard. And so I told him, I said, hey, I, you know, I hope this isn't weird, but I just, I don't want to get to know you too well or, or don't want to get to know you over the internet, that is. You know, and I hope that's not weird. I'd love to plan for what we might need supply-wise, but uh, I'd rather have, like, those real conversations in the dorm room or, you know, around campus when I actually get to see you in person. And he seemed okay with it. Uh, we later met, of course, on the, on the first few nights, and, you know, he said, well, yeah, you know, I, I didn't mind, but I was kind of worried, like, you might be some crazy person, you know. 
And I was like, yeah, no, that's totally valid. And I, I remember after the fact worrying that maybe I'd sent the wrong message, that it wasn't uh, wasn't an apprehension about getting the gnome. It was just that I I really wanted to, to do it right, um, you know. And I, I didn't think that the Internet would do that social encounter justice. So you said you were placed with your roommate because of your cleanliness. I think I was placed with Peter for a number of reasons. Uh, we were both gamers, and we both are. But uh, it was very interesting how, how residential life uh, placed us together. We both have similar personalities in a lot of ways. We are both very sarcastic at times, definitely conversational people, and definitely reliant upon humor uh, from time to time, uh, which is not to say that we're the same person at all. But, but I, I was surprised by the similarities, very pleased, in fact, that residential life had, had done such a good job. Yeah, and I remember one thing for me that I'm very curious to hear from you. Uh, I had always been lucky enough to have my own room. I'd never had to share a room with anyone before. So having a roommate in freshman year was definitely new to me, and it it was something that I don't think I did a great job adapting to, and I'll touch more on that in a moment. But uh, had you shared a room with your brother at home? Had you ever had to share a room before? Yeah, I still share a room with my brother when we come back for vacations he goes to another college but when we do come back for breaks for example thanksgiving or christmas we are sleeping in a double i had never slept in the room with a essentially a stranger before i had never slept with somebody who would be a colleague of mine before and i'm i'm lucky personally to have had somebody who was relatively easy to get along with and to you know work with in the same room and to interact with but i'm sure that there are moments or there are roommate horror stories that are out there of people who have roommates that are so drastically different from them be it in their social interactions or any other reasons that it makes it difficult to live with this person one thing you touched upon was uh, social interactions and I think we both touched upon this but you were talking about how certain social interactions are not so genuine some of them you can taste almost how disingenuous the conversation is the questions themselves are how are you where are you from they're all the basic questions but the feeling you know i love the whole idea of having micro reactions on your body be it on your face or literally the way your body language is it's so visible when somebody really doesn't care about a conversation or doesn't really want to have the conversation their body is turned away or they're just not active and you can tell in their face the same thing with a conversation via the internet it can be difficult to actually see somebody or understand where somebody is coming from when you're not seeing their gestures and their body language alongside or along with their words and I think that can be branched into relationships that are made at college there are all sorts of relationships that I made. I mean, friendships and other sorts of relationships. Let's talk about friendships for now. Most of the people that I lived with in my hall at this point in my career, being a senior three years later, I only say hello to them in, in passing. Our conversations aren't full and rich, but rather they're just, you know, passing greetings. And there's nothing wrong with that. There is no time, as you said earlier. But I do have a few friends that I do still keep in touch with, thankfully. And some of them didn't live in my dorm, but just happened to come upon me in some way or another. My friend Thomas, for example, he was living in Mather while I was living in Lewis, but it just happened that he came over a few times with a larger group of people 
and that our personalities and interests and whatnot meshed together. So that's an interesting topic, how relationships do end up forming. It never is really through these really rigid uh, moments of social interaction, but almost an accident. Sometimes the best friendships are completely accidental. Absolutely, I agree. Uh, I lived in McBride myself, and I, I certainly knew people on my hall, but I think similar to yourself, many of the people on my hall now, although I, I, you know, I, I don't hold any feelings of animosity towards them, I, I will probably just say hi to in passing. And it is very interesting. I think initially, when you when you first come to to college, at least I presume, and and this is a topic for which I hope our listeners at other colleges, um, or who have been to other colleges, will will chime in. Uh, at least at Kenyon, when you get here, your freshman hall under your CA, or as other colleges might refer to them, RA, you're in a tiny little boat. You go to meals together for the first few weeks. Oftentimes, roommates are presumed best friends. They are not always best friends, of course. Um, and I'll get back to myself and Peter, but uh, yeah, you, you do a lot with, with your hall. Um, and of course, there are those people in your hall who have ventured out and, and in their own way welcomed others into that boat. They will have friends from other halls or other areas of campus that are visiting McBride or whatever hall you might happen to live in, and then you meet those people, and then the network begins. You start expanding beyond what I've referred to as the boat. But it is very interesting because it's just a conglomeration of people. Uh, there's no real rhyme or reason behind it. You didn't elect to join a group because of shared interest, and it's, it's very, very interesting. And, of course, some great things happen. Obviously, you refer to roommate horror stories. I, I can think of a handful of kids that I know, some of whom have graduated, some of whom are still here, uh, that loved their freshman year roommates. You know, they still live together as a pair, sometimes a trio, as the years go on, and I think that that's a great sign. I've been especially impressed with people who don't share any superficial uh, similarities or otherwise, but still find something, uh, you know, worth living with in that other person. I guess to, to go back to Peter and myself, because it's it's fascinating to look back upon, I think we can both be very private people, which I don't say as an insult to him, nor to myself necessarily, but I might be at my computer in my room, or our room, I should say, um, and I think it says something about me that I used that qualifier. We'd both be in the room, let's say, and I'd be at my computer, he at his, and we wouldn't talk, at least for about the first semester, because I had been so used to life at home in which, you know, if someone needed me, they'd come tap on my shoulder, let me know what was up, and uh, we'd talk about it. But, uh, yeah, I think we, we probably came from similar backgrounds in that regard, and so we weren't terribly conversational. And there were points where I wondered, you know, am I doing him a disservice? Should I be talking to him? Does he want to talk about stuff? And it was rude of me, for, for lack of a better description, because I was just sort of in my own head. I was more comfortable just sort of giving him space. And I think that's what I used to rationalize it, is that I was giving him space, letting him him be. We'd go to sleep around similar hours, uh, usually around 12.30 or 1 in the morning, um, and that wasn't an issue. Oftentimes, I think, in fact, I was the one making him turn off the light. I'd say, you know, hey, in about 10 minutes, would it be cool if we turned off the light? And he was always fine with it, or at least he said so, and I, I hope that he wasn't uh, appeasing me. But yeah, it was it was an interesting relationship. I I wish that I'd gotten to know him better that year. I have since talked to him quite a bit more. And I think maybe just as roommates, we, we weren't super compatible. But personality-wise, I think we share a lot of similarities, and I've really enjoyed a lot of conversations I've had with him. But I think for sure I, I wasn't prepared for what it meant to be a roommate, to be a bit more garrulous and uh, conversational with that person because in a lot of ways like those ice cream socials you're you're sort of forced into it you know that door will open in the afternoon or at night and that person will come walking in and you can't really control that you you should interact with them and i i chose a much more quiet path 
that I'm sure came off as rude. Uh, I think I've since apologized to him for that, and, and I don't think there's any hostility between us now. But in retrospect, yeah, I, I marvel at, at how inept I was about it because I didn't really talk much. But I'm curious, did you have compatible schedules with Bennett? Did you work well? I mean, I know you shared the cleanliness. Were there other things that you did share, other things maybe that you didn't? It's an interesting question, and as I look back, I think our schedules were so different that we, most of the time, were in the room at different times, except before going to bed. And going to bed, we were also, I think we were pretty calm with one another. We told each other to turn off the lights and went to bed at a certain hour, and we're okay with it. I wanted to touch upon the subject of magnetism. Magnetism in personalities and how you get to know people. I touched upon this earlier and how sometimes you just end up falling into this category of people. And this could be for good or for bad. Sometimes you end up with a great group of friends and each one of you has different personality characteristics that are completely different, completely separate. And yet somehow you find that one lace or one chord that intertwines you, whether it be a certain kind of music or talking about certain kinds of YouTube videos. I can remember going into another room in Lewis in the middle of the day. I had to ask about something about laundry. I don't know. I was asking if somebody had some detergent. And I ended up going to the room of this guy named Nolan. And on his wall, I hadn't you know, gotten to know him at all. This was still September. I was still pretty much a baby freshman trying to figure my way around the place and I saw a poster for Game of Thrones on his wall and this was when the show had just started and I asked him about it and it turned out that he had been watching the show and he had read all the books and I had having just heard of it asked him about it and so I said would you like to watch the show with me and he said sure and when we went by his television, I saw that he had a Wii and he had Super Smash Brothers. And I had never played the game before. Like, I'd never played it more than once before. But throughout that year, we ended up playing Super Smash Brothers almost every single day. I would go over to his room after classes were done, around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and we'd just sit down and play. And it was through this that we ended up forming this friendship that I didn't know would exist. It persisted uh, throughout. It still exists. We're still friends today. We still play Smash Brothers, though not quite as often. With others, I found connections and that we were able to adventure together. We were able to take uh, walks together and talk to one another. But one thing that still gets me and still makes me think are the people that I am kind of afraid of talking to, people I am afraid of interacting with at some point. So the opposite of magnetism and the the repulsion with some people is something that's there. And it's it's a repulsion. It's it's not a repulsion because, you know, we're disgusted with one another. Mm -hmm. Um, At least, I don't know about, you know, their point of view. (laughs) But from my point of view, at least, the repulsion comes from this intimidation. Either this person is uh, too attractive and I don't think this person will talk to me. Or I think they're too intelligent for me. Or I think that their interests, based on, you know, my perception of their physical and you know, small segments of any other part of themselves, I won't get along with this person. And yet there are moments where I sometimes challenge myself and say, let me pursue this person or let me go and talk to this person that I didn't think I would talk to. I think in a way that was kind of how you and I became friends in the middle of our, you know, journey. You came up to me and said something wonderful, something wonderfully witty and silly and surreal almost. And I wanted to continue talking to you as well. 
Yeah, yeah. The uh, the magnetism, and, and I guess I coined the term repulsion to describe it, of a uh, freshman year, especially interesting to me. Um, and you're right that, yeah, they're, if we're going to call them forces, they're definitely very operative. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the magnetism is is so much based on the senses, which I think are very uh, hyper in those first few months. I, I would argue the first semester of one's freshman year is the most distinct part of, of one's college journey, and certainly others will stand out as well. But you're meeting so many people and in a lot of ways discovering yourself. And one thing I remember thinking in freshman year is that these people are not people that have been going to school with me for eight years, nor are they family members that have been living with me for 18 years. These are strangers, like you said, living in a room with a stranger. And not only that, but but they're strangers that, if I want to have a positive relationship with any of them, will need to get to know my stories in some way. And I, I think that that was something that I remember feeling really anxious about completing. I wanted to share my stories. I wanted to to be someone I felt familiar with because I think that that breeds familiarity in both directions. But yeah, I remember being drawn not necessarily to people, but to conversations, things that I overheard, things that I felt, you know, were either interesting to me or maybe applicable to myself. But yeah, I, I also remember in, in its own way, I was sort of repulsed by the idea of, of being alone uh, in those first few months. Not Not as much the, the fear of loneliness, but, but the concern that everyone else was out there making friends and that I was not doing the same. And I guess that, that colored the, the first semester for me, very much so. But I think one thing that I, I want to touch upon that I'd be very curious to hear your thoughts on is the, uh, the social threads that remain from one's pre-college experiences. Because I remember in the month before coming to Kenyan, you know, planning it out, really thinking like, yeah, this this friend of mine and I, we're going to talk on the phone on my first night at college, and, you know, I'm going to stay in touch with her and, and these other people that I want to stay in touch with, and it's, it's... High school friends? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's very interesting to, to sort of compare that mentality with my perception now. It's not that I don't miss those friends, but I think that one has a very skewed perspective, or at least I did, coming into college. I think uh, one friend of mine from Kenyan very aptly described the first semester of college as summer camp in a way that that freshmen in college or at least here don't yet understand that it's not you know it's not a camp it's it's not a place of recreation necessarily a lot of people are preparing for professional lives and everyone comes from from very different backgrounds and for different reasons also of course important to keep in mind are the kids that don't want to be there plenty of people you know plan on transferring or have qualms with the school from day one. But yeah, the, the social threads to me were very interesting. There were just people that I remember thinking, you know, I, I don't want to lose touch with you. I, I want to know about what your college experience is like because I've seen you for the past four years or so in high school and I've really seen you grow and flourish and I, I'm just imagining the stories that, you know, you're going to create when you go to school and I, I remember feeling a bit left out that I wasn't going to get to be there for that. And of course, there were moments in my mind where I thought, well, Kenyon is not much bigger than my high school of about 1,300 people, and sort of envying the kids who were going to go to bigger schools where they would meet thousands upon thousands of students. And it was fascinating to me. But yeah, I mean, for a while, maybe even for the entirety of my freshman year, something that, that sort of sustained me was or were the conversations that I got to have with friends back home, friends elsewhere, friends at other colleges, you know, friends from Wellesley, Massachusetts people that I'd known from prior experiences in my life because I was still in the formative stages of meeting people at Kenyon. 
the the social threads for you? What were they like before you got here? That's interesting that you should mention that. Uh, I, you know, I feel like I I think I had the same feeling of wanting to keep in touch with a lot of people from my high school, uh, best friends, for example. And I find it, and I still to this day find it very difficult to reach out and connect with these people from my life but who are no longer physically with me that I can only communicate with them through means such as Facebook or through telephone or through text message I have a lot of difficulty talking like taking the time out to talk with them I think in part because I'm I have trouble organizing myself but also in part because I want to have a full conversation with them and again I have this feeling that's you know persisted with me since freshman year where I don't I'm not very fond of talking to people through Skype or through text message or through Facebook because there is so much missing out of the conversation and no matter how much somebody tells you no matter how excited it is it's a beautiful thing and it's really wonderful to get that sensation of what your friend is perceiving somewhere else but it can be really difficult to communicate just exactly what it is about a social interaction you've had or a class that you're taking or a location that you're in without actually physically seeing it touching it hearing it you know all these senses as you know as you mentioned i think are very pertinent into you know this transitionary experience yeah, just a, a brief interruption for for something that you said, describing the locations of, of where people are. I remember in those phone calls that I had with people, those those conversations that I I tried to establish with friends elsewhere, I I, I got caught up so many times saying, Oh yeah, well there's this person that I'm trying to describe to you, but you've never met them, so you really don't know, you know, how how cool their mannerisms are or or what their voice sounds like when they're happy or sad. It's it's not the same. And I, I remember pausing and thinking, is it my inability to tell a story or is it just that human experience is not something to be communicated in that way? And I remember thinking, well, yeah, I could tell you how awesome our dining hall is, but you don't go here. And I think in its own way, it was ironic because the harder I tried to keep in touch with people, it wasn't that I felt any, any reasons not to, but the more I stumbled upon details, places, and people that could not be communicated without personal experience, so yeah, it was very interesting, but you were talking about... Well, what I was going to say was uh, one thing about college is that it's almost as if you're thrown into this situation where you're forced to be uh, a, a blank slate in that all of a sudden you, you are literally in a place... Well, you know, some people come to visit Kenyon College, but, you know, some people come into this place for the first time ever. Some people are coming to America, and Kenyon is literally the first location in America that they're going to be living in. So you have all these people who suddenly have this literal new physical location to take in. All these people and all these personalities who are coming in there with you, and then all these things that are there to be learned... There, there are so many planes of newness, um, whether it's in your mind or it's in the people that you're meeting or in the places that you're seeing. And so all of these things can become part of your experience. But again, as Kip said, it can be very 
difficult to actually articulate what is it about this person that is different from every single other person that I have talked to. What is it about this piece of art in front of this building? For example, that little squirrely thing that was in front of Bexley for so long, yeah. but now is by Horvitz, that is fun to sit on. And how do you how do you describe you know going there at two in the morning with a few friends and just sitting there and like looking at the light of the campus and feeling like you belong somewhere or you know a completely different story? There's so many stories to be shared. And even now, as you as you talk about that that sculpture in front of Bexley, there's a limited number of people listening who can understand that. You know, even people that have visited <laughs> campus might not remember where it's Bexley true. is. They might remember some vague sculpture that they saw at one point, but it's a small quantity of people that can really understand the experience you just described, which I think is you know, a testament to what we've been saying. One anecdote that occurs to me now related to sort of the newness of everything. Uh, I don't think I've ever had sleeping troubles per se, although on any nights when I can't fall asleep, I get incredibly paranoid. Um, but I remember getting here and thinking, you know, am I going to be able to fall asleep? I, I hope to God I, I fall asleep easily. And so on one hand, yes, I was, I was able to fall asleep quite quickly. The, the sheets and the pillow that I packed were suitable, um, and I got great sleep for a long time. But one of the first things I said to my roommate was verbatim, hey, uh, I don't usually do this, but a few times in my life I've been sleepwalking, and I just wanted to warn you in case it does happen. And he said, yeah, no, okay. Me, completely unaware that it was going to happen about three days later. So one night in our first week of, of sharing the room, I wake up and I was leaning over his bed in a, in a cross shape. So I'm leaning over his body perpendicularly to reach the thermostat on the other side of him. My left knee was pressed up against his rib cage and I woke up in this very uh, damning position, um, you know, very strange to wake up to. And he woke up about at the same time and looked up at me and I was so perplexed with myself and the situation, I, I stepped back and just began apologizing profusely. He was, you know, saying things like, well, what, what's good, Kip, what are you, what? And I just walked back to my bed and continued to apologize, got under my covers, continued to apologize, and then fell asleep. And of course, the story remains to be told between myself and Peter and others who want to hear it. But yeah, it was, it was weird. And I, I almost think it was because I, I said, hey, sometimes I sleepwalk. And because I was in this new environment, it was very, very strange. But, uh, if I may, yeah, yeah. there's, uh, I, you know, I didn't think about sleeping. This whole idea of will I be able to sleep never occurred to me. And this is just me sharing a story, but a couple of things that happened to me while I was sleeping as a freshman at Kenyon, I can remember being in Lewis and for the first time, you know, Ben Vicelio tells this story. Ben Vicelio, for anybody who's not at Kenyon, he is a drama professor here um, at Kenyon. He tells a story about, you know, going to bed and waking up in this sleep paralysis. So you can't move any part of his body but his eyes are open and he sees this, you know, old crone. That's how it goes. Well, a few weeks after hearing that story, I'm taking a nap in my room and the window is right next to me. I put my bed right up against the window. So I put um, an extra blanket over my eyes, but I can remember waking up and not being able to move my body and seeing parts of my room through the blanket and not being able to physically move. I also one day dreamt that my parents were moving me out of their car and it was in the middle of this parking lot. It looked like the Kroger parking lot, only if it was much, much bigger, like if it was a mile wide. And I started crying in the dream. And when I woke up, there were actual tears coming down my face. And Bennett, my roommate, came up to me and asked me what was wrong. I had no idea. I felt just fine. 
but I had had this crazy dream and somehow that dream had, you know, transitioned into the reality. So maybe there are these things that we don't necessarily consider, but when we go into a new place, our body is actually functioning in a different way or actually responding to things that we think about or have heard. For example, you mentioning sleepwalking, then sleepwalking, me hearing about sleep paralysis, and then it happening to me. I actually think that segues quite nicely into, uh, I guess, a subset of this conversation in, in things that I've told incoming freshmen, not even necessarily Kenyan, plenty of my friends back home, are in the grade below me, and there are a few even two years below me who are just now entering college. And I really looked forward after getting back home uh, for the summer after my freshman year, those conversations that I would have with them, things that I would say, things that I had learned, because I personally had had a very challenging freshman year. Not necessarily a bad one, but very, very challenging. It, it took me out of my element and taught me a lot of things, but at the cost of some you know, emotional difficulties, because I, I felt lonely, for lack of a better term. And so returning home, I, I was really eager to share what I'd learned with people, not all of whom would go to small colleges like Kenyon. But yeah, I, I, I wanted to discuss, because you and I might be talking to people who have yet to go to college, uh, sort of some of the things that I think we've learned, you know, respectively, individually, but also things we might share. So I, I, I've always told people that are not yet coming to college, and I've told freshmen here, because we're still in the formative stages of their first semester, not to worry so much about the social sides of things, that, that the friends you will make, like you said, sometimes accidentally, are going to be some really cool people, and you have to have faith in that. I think the admissions staff here at Kenyon and at other colleges, I'm sure, are very careful about building a community. They're not going to get people who are all of one type. They're going to make sure to mix it up, and they do a great job of doing so. But I've told people that the friends that you make initially are, you know, out of out of necessity. There's a lot of clinging that goes on simply because you don't want to be that person alone in his or her room. You want to, to be sharing the experience with other people, even if it's a horrible one, because of that feeling of community or that illusion, perhaps, of community. And so I've always told people, you know, the friends that you keep some of whom will come from your first semester, but not always. And I, I think a benefit of that is that you're going to meet people, of course, that you don't get along with, people that, you know, sleep at weird hours, people that are louder than you, people that don't care about your opinion, you know, all kinds of conflicting personalities. I don't think they're bad personalities, but definitely ones that are not compatible with yours, whoever you might be. And it's an easy thing to say, but it's definitely, it's, it's hard in the moment to live through that because you want to be making friends. And I think there's there's a patience that comes along with being a freshman, something that's expected of you that is almost impossible to deliver upon because you're so eager to start this new thing, or hopefully you're eager, but that you have to be so patient and really wait. And, and you know, I think another thing that I've told people regarding that socializing is that if you pursue the things that you want to do, if you do your own thing, if you feel like going for a walk, go for a walk because that's who you are. And at a certain point, after a number of, you know, consecutive instances of you being yourself, Hopefully all of those are, you know, permanent, that you're always being yourself. People will come up to you. They'll be intrigued. The people that care about that guy walking down the street will, you know, make an effort to meet that person because they see something in you or they perceive something in you that is interesting to them. And I think it's, it's the complete opposite of what you and I had mentioned before about the forced social interactions. But, yeah, have you given advice to any incoming freshman or do you have any advice maybe that you've never given as ah. a senior? I, I'm loving that you have given advice to incoming freshmen. I, I haven't, and I'm, you know, I've started thinking about the position of being an upperclassman 
to freshmen or you know just being you know if you are a junior or a senior or a sophomore even you have already been in this place longer than all these people have and you know I know I personally looked up to some people my freshman year I think what I would suggest if I had any advice for anybody would be to be brave and to interact with those people that you want to interact with and might be scared to. I know one thing I do often, personally, is I contemplate the negative first. I tell myself, well, what if? What if I speak to this person, I make a complete fool of myself? What if I can't be articulate? What if I look funny at this moment? But the truth is, most people, in my experience, are just as shy, as just as nervous, and just as self-conscious as you are. And Again, you know, there is this going back to this idea that Kip is talking about. If you are that person who wants to take walks, take those walks and people will be magnetically attracted to you and to what you do. And it shows. I don't see a problem with being in your room and spending time by yourself, taking walks by yourself and doing things by yourself. I've done it myself. I do it quite often. In fact, I need time to decompress. I think the danger comes in always doing that, always being in your room, always being by yourself, and segregating yourself, because I think everybody needs um, that social interaction. Going back to being an older student, I think transition is its a constant thing. I think transition is just as much a uh, movement from being a senior in high school to freshman in college as it is from year to year, because there are transitions that happen in your interests, for example. You can find in the middle of your academic career that you're interested in something else entirely or even early on as your freshman year or as late as your senior year. It can be, you know, the adventure of intellectual pursuits and meeting people, it's constantly changing. Things are constantly changing from year to year, whether it's the buildings that are being built on part of campus or the things that you're interested in or the ways people evolve uh, intellectually. Sometimes you find friends, you know, going back to the point that you made earlier, um, sometimes you try to communicate with friends from back home and you realize that your interests have diverged so extremely that you have nothing to talk about anymore. And I don't know if you've had any experiences with that, but I, I know that I've tried reaching out to friends from uh, middle school, for example, and I find that our pursuits and our interests have diverged so much that we have absolutely nothing to talk about anymore. And it's kind of sad because, you know, there here is this person that you've known for so long and this resonance that you once had is empty. Absolutely. In closing, from thought to word and voice to ear, we thank you for listening as always. Be a part of our conversation. If there's something that resonates with you, be it a topic that we're talking about or sentence we said. Talk to us. Write to us at strideandsaunter at gmail.com and we'll try to get back to you. Whether you want to be interviewed, you want somebody to be interviewed, you want to add an idea or have a theme or topic in mind, bring it to us and we'll see what we can do. We are very open to having new ideas and new suggestions for what this podcast should be and can be. Thank you.